sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Becky Kovach. We are talking all about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone today. I know I covered the movies way back when, I think it was within the first 10 episodes or so of the podcast, and you know, I probably could have milked that for eight different episodes, so instead we are going to milk the books for seven episodes here, and Becky will be joining me for all of them. Becky, are you excited to get this going with the Harry Potter books? Oh, absolutely. I, so I know we've talked about it a bunch, but like I've reread these books so many times and like I've been slowly working my way back through them for the like hundredth time this year. Um, And I could literally talk about Harry Potter all day long. Well, that is perfect for me. So, (laughs) you know, I have not read the books as much as you have. In fact, I could not find my books for a while. And I was sort of panicking when we first had this idea to talk about them. I was like, I have no idea where my books are. They are not where I left them. But we found them. They were in a box outside (laughs) being stored. So not like outside, outside, but like in a trailer shed or something outside. I don't remember which they were in. Because a lot of my stuff was put into our toy hauler when I moved back from the apartment because there was literally nowhere else to put it. It was like, well, we're just going to throw couches and stuff in here and whatever else is in there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you found him and you started reading him again so we can uh, talk through all the books. Yes, that is obviously the important thing. And I want to start by talking about the fact that this was one of the books that had its name changed. It might have been the only one that had its name changed for the US version, actually, because in the UK, it was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. So obviously, the name was changed within the book as well, not just the title. So it's the Sorcerer's Stone that they are after, not the Philosopher's Stone. And their reasoning for that was because people here would not want to read a book with the word philosopher in the title. So (laughs) I just found that very odd. And I was like, um, okay, I probably would have still read these after everyone raving about them. But, you know, I was not the one buying these books since I was a small child when they started coming out. True. Um, to be fair, I didn't want to read them at all, even with the book being called The Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know why I didn't want to read them. It was just the fact that like, they were gaining in popularity and all of a sudden Harry Potter was everywhere. I was like, screw that. I don't want to read this. And I was in like third grade and my teacher basically made me read it. (laughs) Uh, And I really regretted waiting so long after that because obviously I fell in love with the books. But I think, I mean, as far as the name change goes, I can kind of see where they're coming from, changing it from philosopher to sorcerer because like philosopher doesn't really instill that sense of like magic right that is true like the whole point is that he's going to he's like a wizard he's going to school to study magic and like philosopher just doesn't have that whole like whimsical sense to it like sorcerer sounds like he's going to magic school philosopher just sounds like it sounds a little bit boring to be honest 
Yeah, it's funny, too, because I'm sure I have discussed this with you before because I know we've talked about Neil Gaiman, but fantasy isn't typically a genre that I seek out. In fact, I would argue that Neil Gaiman and the Harry Potter books are the only sort of fantasy books I really have and that I tend to enjoy. I don't know what it is, but I had read some books before that were sort of in the fantasy genre, and I just got really tired of them very quickly. And I'm pretty sure it was literally only one book that I probably never finished. But there was something about what Harry Potter was about and how it was a kid's book that wasn't only for kids, basically. And that sort of brings us to the next thing I wanted to discuss. And that's the fact that, you know, these are fairly long books for being kids books. And it's obviously something that parents probably had to read to their kids at first, just because while it is an easy read for you and I now, it probably wasn't when these were coming out when we were like six, seven and eight. (laughs) Yeah, especially as like the later books started to come out, because like, I think the Sorcerer's Stone is probably what, like 300 pages? Yeah, I think my copy is 309. Yeah, so it's around that. But then like, as the books go on, four, five, six, and seven are all, you know, six, 700 plus pages. Yeah, they definitely increase in size as they go. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that these kids are growing up throughout the seven books. And, you know, this is sort of just the beginning. And I made a note when I was reading through it that we don't even get introduced to Hogwarts until we're about a third of the way through the book. So we spend a lot of time with just Harry and his family situation before we even know about Hogwarts. Yeah. And honestly, I didn't even realize that until I was looking at your notes on the book. And I had to go back and check my copy to see if that was true, because it definitely doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Like his his summer at the Dursleys doesn't feel like it goes on that long. And I don't know if it's just like your anticipation as the reader for him to get to Hogwarts and to start learning magic or what, but like that first third of the book goes by quick. Yeah. One of the big things I want to talk about with this too is the pacing of the story because it doesn't seem like a ton of time passes in that first third of the book, but then, you know, by the end of the book, he's gone through his entire first year at Hogwarts already. And that part seems to go by a lot faster. But like you said, it doesn't seem like you're spending that much time with the Dursleys in that first third of the book. And as horrible as they are, it's amazing that it even feels that way because that could have easily felt like it was dragging on and on and on, but it doesn't for whatever reason. And I can't figure it out. I don't know what it is, but you know, it's like once Harry gets to Hogwarts and doesn't have those things sort of looming over him, he's able to just sort of relax a little bit in some respects. You know, he's not being hassled by Dudley, but then, you know, we have Draco Malfoy in the picture instead. So he still has sort of this similar thing going like he had back at home, if you could even call his cupboard a home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because like his life, although it changes drastically in some respects when he goes to Hogwarts, like there are other things about his life that don't really seem to change at all. Like he does still have that whole like bully presence going on and like he still is responsible for like schoolwork like going to magic school isn't all fun games it's actual work and studying and like papers and stuff 
Yeah, and I think that's something that easily made it relatable for kids, especially if you were reading these a little later, like teenager age and everything like that, because you're sort of in that similar situation where you're just getting piles of homework from teachers and it's like none of them talk to each other to know and they just all sort of dump homework on you at the same time. And at least that's what it felt like at my high school. I'm sure plenty of other kids felt that way too, but you oh, know, definitely. they don't spend too much time on that in the story, which is nice. And I think J.K. Rowling really had a knack for knowing when to focus on certain situations more than others. You know, we have these moments where we sort of take our time with them, like when Harry first sees the mirror and he keeps wanting to go back to it. And we spend a little more time with that and Ron telling him it's not a good idea. And then, you know, Dumbledore finds him looking at it. So it's one of those things where depending on the situation, she knew what needed more focus and what didn't. Yeah. And then if you think about it that way, it's interesting that she spent so much time with him at the Dursleys the summer before he left for his first year. I think part of that is because of not how often it comes up necessarily, but Draco certainly brings it up more than once. And he especially brings it up that Harry's parents are dead. So, you know, Harry is sort of stuck in this place with the Dursleys and he thinks he's going to be there forever pretty much until he is old enough to leave but then everything changes for him when all of those letters start coming which that in itself is a hilarious part of the book you just have these letters coming and coming and coming and they won't stop and his uncle vernon is furious <laughs> and yeah. he doesn't realize that it is pointless to try running away from the letters because if they knew that Harry was living in the cupboard and then in the smaller bedroom <laughs> and everything like that. Do you really think going somewhere else is going to help? Yeah. And I think that was the best part about the letters was how specific they were in how they were addressed. Yeah. Like cupboard under the stairs or like the when they're in like the shack on the rock in the middle of the ocean, like the letter that Hagrid literally hands to Harry has like that very specific address on it. Yeah, and I think she spends, you know, sort of the perfect amount of time on that, too, because there are obviously a ton of letters coming in, but it feels like just the right amount to sort of get the point across. It's like, okay, you know, we know your family sucks, so we are going to drive them mad and then just come and get you. And give your cousin a pig's tail in the process. <laughs> Yes. Hagrid is wonderful. <laughs> that is all I have to say about that. Hagrid is great. And like, we'll probably get more into him as we go through the, the rest of the books too. But I like, all I have to say is I don't know what I would have done if Hagrid had died off at some point during the books. Yeah. And death is certainly something that is a common theme that really starts with this book and Harry's parents, because you know, Hagrid is livid when he realizes that Harry knows nothing about who he is. You know, his aunt and uncle haven't told him a single thing. All they really said was his parents died in a car accident. And even when Hagrid finds that out, he's like, are you kidding me? So I think, you know, this is a good point to jump into the character building that J.K. Rowling did in this first book, because, you know, it's something that continues throughout all of the books because 
they are kids when we first meet them, you know, when we see Harry, Ron, and Hermione meet for the first time or read about it in the book. It's one of those moments where you're like, okay, we understand that being a first year means they are of a particular age and they are going to be at this school for seven years. So it's basically kind of like high school and college combined, just slightly shorter. Yeah. And like, I I mean, I don't know about you, but the first time that I read this book, I was about eight or nine years old, I think. So having them be 11, like, yeah, I was a little bit older than I was at the time, but it was close enough that I was able to kind of relate to the characters and see myself in some of these characters that were in the book, which made it a lot easier for me to get into the books and made me more excited about reading them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the copy that I have is from 1998, which is when Scholastic bought the rights to the book. And I have the Scholastic edition that has like little illustrations at the top of each chapter and it's the paperback version. So it's one of those things where, you know, we got this book later than other people did too, just because it came out the year prior and then it had to come to the US in order for most of us to even hear about it. But because it was so well received, it was one of those things where everyone knew about Harry Potter. And honestly, I couldn't even pinpoint when I actually read the books, because as I have shown you, I tend to have a lot more books <laughs> before I even get around to reading them. So I just have piles and piles of books, literally piles and piles. I That is not exaggeration. <laughs> that is my life right now. And I remember having the books and reading them and then later watching the movies when those came out. But I can't really pinpoint any of it because it's sort of just all a blur by the time you think about how much Harry Potter content one has consumed between seven books and eight movies. Yeah, and having gone through both sets of things multiple times. Yes, for you, it must be even worse. <laughs> but yeah, I I mean, the only reason that I remember so specifically when I read this first book was because my teacher, like I said, she literally forced me to read it. Um, and prior to that, like I just had, had no interest and she made me sit down and start reading uh, Sorcerer's Stone and I think at that time the first three books were already out so I kind of just like dove in and read through those three and then it was the fourth book that I was waiting for to come out and like just ready to go when it arrived. Yeah and the reason we spend so much time with Harry by himself is because he really is the centerpiece of these books and while that might not be quite be the case by the end of them it's more of a team effort by then it's one of those things where it's like okay this kid is important for a reason and this first book sorcerer stone is us getting to understand why he is so important to this world to the wizarding world and then you know he instantly befriends Ron on the train pretty much and we get a little bit of Ron's backstory just from the train ride because you know we see how many siblings he has we don't see all of them at once but he has enough to where it's like okay there are a lot of Weasleys and (laughs) there are some that have already left Hogwarts and there are I believe four of them there now and then as we all know Ginny makes her way there as well so there are plenty of Weasleys to keep track of and Ron is the one that ends up with all the hand-me-downs. 
So that is something that sticks with you in this book, too, because, again, something Draco not so kindly brings up a lot <laughs> this in this book. And then you have Hermione. And all we really learn about her is that her parents are dentists in this book. I don't know if we really learn all that much else about her background, but we learn a lot about her personality. You know, she's the bookworm. She is how I feel now. As opposed to how I felt when I was in school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with Ron, especially because Harry spends so much time with Ron's family as like the books go on, I feel like we definitely learn way more about him and his background. And especially in this first book, because he's got three older brothers that are still at school with him. Right. Um, and then we also do meet Ginny very, very briefly like on the platform of the train as they're getting ready to leave for Hogwarts. Whereas Hermione, because her parents are muggles, they're not really involved in this world at all. Uh, most of what we learn about Hermione is just like you said about her personality and who she is as like a student and the fact that she is like the, the I don't want to say nerdy because it makes it sound bad, but like nerdy is a great thing. Um, she is nerdy is cool bookworm. now. <laughs> yeah. Nerdy's cool now. Um, but she's she's the bookworm and she's the one who is, you know, top of the class and, and does really well at everything. And I know you said that you kind of relate more to her now, but back for me, back when I was reading this book, like that was me. I was the, the reader. I was the one who like teachers would ask me how far I had gotten in our class, like our book for class. And that was how they judged where the rest of the students would be in the book based on like how far I got <laughs> So because no me, one was nearly as far as you were. <laughs> exactly. So for me, Hermione was the character that like I could kind of see myself in as I was reading these books and like having that strong female lead character. Like, yeah, this book was mostly focused around Harry, but, you know, he definitely wouldn't have made it as far as he did without the help of Ron and Hermione to get him there. Yeah, exactly. And even with Draco, we get a little bit about him because we know he sort of comes from money his dad was in Slytherin and we even get that moment where he is in detention with Harry Hermione and Neville and you know he makes a comment about not going into the woods and Hagrid just lays into him and he says something along the lines of well if you think your dad would be happy with you being expelled go on and go pack your bags and that sort of kind of puts into perspective, even in the most subtle way, that, you know, Draco doesn't want to make his dad mad because yeah. he knows how much being at Hogwarts means to his family, even though we don't really meet his family until later on in the books. I don't even know which book it is. I will find out as I reread them. But, you know, the funny thing about rereading these two after having seen the movies is I can more vividly picture the characters now because we literally have these visual representations of them that are so ingrained in our brains by this point. It's like, you know, you see some of those actors and actresses and you're like, oh, yeah, they're so and so from Harry Potter, even though they've been in other roles since then, because these movies yeah. were quite a while ago you know I think the last one probably came out when we were both in high school I know I remember waiting for a midnight showing of it in high school for the final movie or the second to last movie I don't know it was one of the parts of the seventh book that was in the theaters 
yeah, like you said, it, it's so much easier to kind of picture everything as you're reading through it now. Um, but the one thing that I realized as I have been reading through these books this year is I've seen the movies way more times than I've read the books at this point, just because it's so easy to like pop a DVD into a television and like sit down and watch a movie for an hour and a half or two hours or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there are so many little things that like aren't necessarily important overall, but just little things that got left out of the movies that are in the books. And it's om- like it was almost like rereading the books for the first time because I've seen the movie so many times now that I'd forgotten about these little things that happened in the books. Yeah, and obviously they aren't going to be able to fit every little no. detail into the movies, but I do think they did a pretty good job with the movies as far as adaptations go. You know, people ate up the movies just as much as they did the books. And like you said, it's a lot easier to rewatch a movie than it is to reread a book. And honestly, as you probably know, rereading books is not a thing I do very often just because, again, so many books, so little time. <laughs> yeah. But I made an exception because it's Harry Potter. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to make an exception for anything, this is it. Yeah, absolutely. And even with some of the professors and Dumbledore, they did a lot of groundwork for building up these characters. You know, we know how important Professor Snape is, how important Professor McGonagall is going to be, and especially Dumbledore. Those are really the three professors other than, uh, what's his name? Professor Quirrell? I don't know if I'm saying half of these names right, but yeah, you know the the, the professor who has Voldemort on the back of his head, <laughs> you know that that dude, and obviously he doesn't really make it to the end of the. I mean, he makes it to the end of the book pretty much, but not completely. And so you have these other three figureheads at the school who are going to become increasingly more important as the story goes on. And I think they did a nice job of laying the groundwork for that. You know, it seems like Snape really does hate Harry Potter in in this. And then you have Professor McGonagall, who is the head of Gryffindor, basically. And so we are going to see our main characters interacting with her a lot. And obviously, Dumbledore is the headmaster of the school. And he just pops in when he's needed and provides these little bits of wisdom and then disappears. And yeah. it's sort of like he has the perfect timing in these situations. And, you know, he thought he was late when he went to go save Harry at the end there and he wasn't. So it's one of those things where, you know, he obviously could tell something was going to happen because you got these little hints throughout the book that were leading up to that final moment And it's just so nicely laid out to keep this story going. And I have no idea if when J.K. Rowling started writing this book that she knew it would go on for seven books. Obviously, I think there was some idea because it was the first year of seven years of school. But you could have easily fit two years into one book if you really wanted to, especially with how long some of those other books are. Yeah, like the the first two books are about as long as like the fourth or the fifth ones put together. Like the first two put together as long as like four or five. But I feel like I I definitely think that she had it all kind of planned out, even just like a rough idea from the very beginning. Right. Like everything is very deliberate with her, and there are so many things that like, especially reading back through them all now, 
Like I pick up on little things where I, I didn't realize it was important the first time that I was reading it. But now that I know where everything is heading, I see something and I'm like, oh, like this is going to come into play later. Yeah, I'm kind of glad I didn't end up skimming through the book like I originally intended to. I literally sat down these last two days. I had read the first 30 pages at some point, and then I just set the book aside because I have been checking out like a million things from the library. So I, I kind of put Harry Potter aside for a bit. But then the last two days, I just sort of sat down and made my way through the rest of the book. And I was like, yeah, I'm really glad I didn't just skim through this because I would have yeah. missed some sort of crucial things. And, you know, I think that kind of leads us into some of our favorite moments from the book. So why don't you go ahead and go first and give me one of your favorite moments? Okay. One of the parts that I've always loved ever since I was like really young is uh, when they are going to try and, and stop Voldemort from getting the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, and they're going through the different like yes. protections that the, the professor set up. Yeah. I have always loved Snape's potions. Like the, the bottles that he sets up with the logic problem. Right. Of how to figure out which ones are poisons, which ones are wine, like which one will allow you to go through the flames forward or which one will allow you to go through the flames backwards. Um, and I just, I've always loved that part. And it's probably the one thing that I'm so upset didn't make it into the movie. Like everything else they left out, I'm like, fine, we can deal without it. But I wanted to see this brought to life so badly. Um, and it's like, it's the, like every time I read this book, and I get to this part, I sit down with the logic problem and I like draw it out and I redo the problem just to see if like I still can. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, that whole sequence there is really great too when they are, you know, flying around on the broomsticks to snatch the key out of the air. Obviously, Harry's going to be the one who gets it. I don't think that's any surprise by this point in no. the book. But then you have the moving chess pieces they're basically alive and i think you know that is something that's really fun to see come to life on the big screen too because you know the amount of effects that they had to put in these movies is just well a lot because it's it's a wizarding school so you know it's sort of nice to see how these things translated from the page to the screen. And I know we're mostly talking about the books here because I've already touched on the movies in a single episode, but it's kind of hard to reread these and not think about how things looked in the movies. I already mentioned, you know, having these characters stuck in my head that we have seen in the movies because, you know, they really did do such a great job with the casting and with nailing those characters that it's one of those things like where I read Fight Club after watching the movie. So I was reading everything in Brad Pitt and Edward Norton's voices in my head. <laughs> so it's it's kind of similar to that. I was definitely doing that with this book when I was rereading it. I was like, yep, there's Emma Watson's voice in my head as Hermione. Yeah. And like, I don't mind it because like you said, the casting was really spot on for these movies and like the way they were able to pick out like Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and Rupert Grant to play these characters is amazing because like they literally could have ended up with anybody and it might not have turned out as well as they had hoped. But with the three of them, like it just they've really brought to life these characters that 
we had all kind of fallen in love with already and like made us fall in love with them even more. Yeah, one of my favorite moments was when the light bulb sort of went off for Harry when they trapped the troll in a room and they did not realize that they had just put the troll in the girl's bathroom that Hermione was in. Oh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was just one of those moments where you're like, wow, yeah, they would totally do this. And then they have to go and make it right. And I believe this is the first time that Hermione covers for them. And that moment sort of really helps build that trust between the three of them. And we sort of see that friendship blossom a little more after that moment because she lies and says, you know, it was my fault. They were just trying to save me. Not, you know, oh, I was in that position in the first place because they were dumb and locked him in there with me. Yeah. And I mean, they weren't even really friends at that point anyway. Like the fact that she covered for them at all is amazing because up until that point, like, she had kind of just been that girl that was a little bit of know-it-all. Not a little bit. She was, <laughs> was a know-it-all. Yeah. Um, she was a know-it-all and, like, was always showing people up in class. And they kind of just thought she was annoying. And uh, the fact that, like, they realized, like, oh, we, oh, God, like, we locked this troll in the bathroom with her. Like, we have to go save her. Um like yeah like you said this is kind of like what builds their friendship and builds that trust and it all kind of grows from there yeah and I do like that they didn't instantly hit it off with Hermione on the train you know it's one thing for Harry and Ron to sit down next to each other but I feel like it would have been too much all at once to have all three of them just sort of all of a sudden be buddy buddy before they even get to school because you know I went from a class of eight to a class of I don't know how many hundred between middle school and high school and I was a wreck my first day of high school I didn't know what I was doing because I had gone to private school where I just sat in the same classroom all day so it was nerve-wracking for me. I was like, wait, you have to change classrooms? Like, what is this? It was so foreign to me because I had gone to, you know, these tiny private schools. And, you know, it's like you sort of make that one friend who kind of helps you through it. And then, you know, they introduce you to their friends because most of the people at my high school had gone to middle school with a bunch of the other kids in our class. So for them it was like you know a bunch of them came from like two or three different schools so a bunch of them already knew each other and you know when you do summer school or whatever you're in the same classroom all day so it was still sort of that culture shock so to speak on the first day of class and I think Harry felt that too a lot at Hogwarts but at the same time he felt relieved because his situation at home was not great by any stretch of imagination it was just horrible And so, you know, he has this sense of relief, but he's still sort of nervous about everything because all of a sudden he's famous. Yeah. And that was something that, like, he never expected in a million years, because why would he? Yeah. Well, do you have some other favorite moments from the book? I probably have quite a few just because I think this book was so well done. I finally went back into Goodreads and gave it a five star rating. I was like, yes, all (laughs) of this. Yes. Um. This is a really like small part, but it's when I want to say it's over Christmas. I could be wrong, Um, but it's like the first snowfall at Hogwarts and Fred and George bewitch snowballs to bounce off the back of Quirrell's turban. 
I think that is the Christmas break because I know they mentioned a snowball fight outside and it was pretty much Harry and the Weasleys and I don't know who else would have been there over Christmas, but it seemed like they were the handful of Gryffindor kids, at least, who were still there. And, you know, I think Harry getting the sweater was a pretty nice touch, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was really sweet because, like, obviously him and Ron are best friends, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, like, he he hasn't met Ron's family, really, other than who was at Hogwarts. So the fact that Mrs. Weasley went through the trouble of sending him a gift, um, this kid that she, like, barely knows, like, she realizes how hard it must be for him um and how you know kind of lonely he must be he doesn't have a whole lot of family and she might not know the extent of his like troubles at home but I feel like she realizes that the family that he does have it's not like an ideal situation yeah and that's something she realizes fairly quickly when he sort of just walks up to her and is trying to figure out how to get on platform nine and three quarters because you know uncle vernon just drops him off and laughs at him and yeah. says good luck kind of thing but totally sarcastically obviously and mrs weasley is just completely nice to him and even though the family obviously doesn't have that much money and that there are so many kids and you know ron's getting all these hand-me-downs and everything she still takes the time to make harry one of the staple weasley sweaters <laughs> so and it's just one of those small moments where you're like you know harry has sort of finally found his family yeah yeah and and that's exactly it she pretty much welcomes him into the family uh, when she gives him the sweater and says, like, hey, I, I I know that we're not blood, but like you are one of us and you are always welcome and you have a place. Yeah, I think Hermione sort of falls under that same scenario, too, because her parents are muggles and you have her going to this wizarding school that they probably know nothing about. I, I kind of want to know why they sent her there if the, the, neither of them are wizards or witches or anything like that it's like do they know what hogwarts actually is i think they do know i mean she gets a letter just like every other kid that kind of explains hogwarts um and like her parents take her to diagon alley to like buy her books and her school supplies and stuff and then they do meet the weasleys at some point um later on like i think her parents know but yeah in, in like some respects she is in the same boat as harry where she's going off to this entirely new world that she didn't even know existed until she got her letter. Um, And she's just kind of thrown in and the Weasleys definitely do accept her into their family in the same way that they do Harry. But I think it takes a little bit longer um, for her just because like her and Ron aren't nearly as close as like Ron and Harry are and that their friendship and their relationship as it grows, it takes a little bit more time. Yeah, and I think things between Ron and Harry sort of move a little faster just because of the fact that they are both there over Christmas break. And, you know, obviously, Fred and George spend time with them as well, which for those two goofballs, you know, that's pretty generous of them because they could just be off doing their own thing. And we see Percy for a bit as well, but him being quite a bit older than the rest of them, he's probably like, you know what, you guys do your thing. And you too, Fred and George, try to stay out of trouble. But yeah, there are just so many little moments looking back now that maybe we didn't catch on to when we were younger and reading these books. And I think that's why, you know, like I said earlier, it's a kid's book, but it's not solely 
geared towards kids. You know, anyone of any age could read these and find something to enjoy. Yeah. And even some of like the themes and some of like the recurring ideas in the books are a little bit beyond what you would normally expect from a kid's book. Like the fact that Harry is an orphan and his parents were murdered. Like that's some pretty heavy stuff like for a kid to be reading. Yeah, absolutely. And there are plenty of moments with Hagrid too that sort of just round out the characters in this book. And, you know, we learn quite a bit about Hagrid just from the things he tells Harry and how much he knows, you know, he's, not a professor, but he's equally as important to Dumbledore as any of those other professors are. And, you know, I think Hagrid's moment with the dragon is another good one where it Mm -hmm. it isn't really crucial to the story, but it's just sort of this fun little side journey, so to speak. You know, he has this dragon and then he realizes that he did something he shouldn't have in order to get that dragon, but he was so drunk he didn't really remember it at the time. So we get that little side adventure of them trying to get the dragon out before Hagrid gets into trouble and everything. But then we circle back to it later and realize just how important that whole sequence was. Yeah. And just like, it just kind of continues building this world that J.K. Rowling has put together of like, magical creatures and the fact that like dragons exist is so just like it just it just makes everything feel more real and and more magical than like just them going off to school yeah i recently watched the fantastic beast movie and seeing the name of that book come up in this one as sort of the required reading for the first years you're like you know she really has so much going in going on in these stories that she can pull from i wouldn't have been surprised if all of those required reading books listed ended up becoming actual books that she wrote you know on top of fantastic beasts which i don't believe i've read i think the only other harry potter book i have outside of the main series is the screenplay for the cursed child okay um yeah she so she wrote fantastic beasts like she wrote a book called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Right. Um, that is supposed to be their textbook. There's also Quidditch Through the Ages. Oh, okay. I didn't know about that one. Yeah, that one. I have both of those, and I, I really love those. They're very short and very quick. But those were, like, put together as, uh, like, a box. Not a box set, because there's only two, but just, like, a, a pair. Um, and then she also wrote The Tales of Beetle the Bard, which comes up later on in book seven. Um, that one I haven't read yet. I'm actually surprised. I know. I just ne- I, I, I just don't have a copy. I never got around to getting it. Um, I should do that. Definitely. But yeah, and then there's uh, The Cursed Child screenplay, and then there's also, um, a, they, they like release a screenplay for Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, I think I did see that, and I know that there is a second Fantastic Beasts movie coming in November? I'm, yes. That sounds right. So many movies. Hard to keep track of. The the Crimes of Grindelwald. Yes, that is the subtitle for it that I could not think of. But <laughs> is there anything else about the Sorcerer's Stone that you want to touch on that we didn't get to yet? I, I know, like you said, we could probably talk about this book all day if we really wanted to break it down bit by bit. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like we got to all of like, the major points. It's just 
she just does such a great job of building this world and like making it come alive and making it feel real and making you feel like maybe one day I'll get my letter and I'll be able to go to Hogwarts and learn magic. And it's just, it's something that like, as you go through the books, the the best part was being able to grow up with these characters, especially having started reading them so young. Right. That like, by the time I finished reading them, I was about the same age that they were in the books. Yeah. And plus then to have it extended by having the movies come out, like I mentioned earlier, it's like, we basically grew up with these characters, especially as they started doing the movies. I think that was probably closer to our age range. Yeah. And just, yeah. And I think that's why people kind of fell in love with these books was because, you know, as we've said, the characters are really relatable and um, just being able to grow up with them and go through so many like life changes with them. Like as the books go on, you see them start to develop crushes and like, start to go on dates and like they're dealing with end of school exams which is something that was like super high school and it's just it's a whole world and a whole like life that even though it's so different than like reality and what we know we can still like feel like we belong there yeah absolutely well Becky I'm definitely looking forward to talking about the rest of these books like I said to you before we start recording it will totally depend on how quickly I can read them because you are already on book seven so you're slightly ahead of me just a little bit all good take your time chances are I'm gonna want to reread the next couple books anyway just because as time goes on I forget certain aspects of them and Especially with like as books go on because they get so much longer, there's so much more that gets left out of the movies that like I completely forgot about going into reading them. Um, So I definitely want to be able to talk about them as in-depth as possible. Yeah, I get the feeling our episodes are also going to get longer (laughs) as we go through these books. Would not be surprised. I wouldn't either. Well, thank you so much for coming on to talk about the Sorcerer's Stone today. And I am definitely, definitely very excited to go through all of these books. And like I said earlier, I'm not one to really reread books. But for these, I was like, you know what? It's been so long since I've read them. I know I forgot so many things that happened in these books. And usually I'm pretty good about being able to sort of look at a book, read the back of it and all of the details sort of start coming back to me. But when you read something as a kid, that's a lot harder to do. So, you know, thank you for motivating me to reread these so we could do all of these episodes on them. Oh, you are very welcome. These books are worth rereading. Absolutely. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.